Hello, everybody. Welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and I'll be your host as we explore the dark and winding paths that lead us around the Delmarva Peninsula. If you're new here, welcome, and if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Delmarva is an area on the east coast of the United States. It's in the Mid-Atlantic region, and it encompasses all of Delaware, Maryland to the east of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and Virginia to the northeast of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Today I'll be doing something a little different and going over a number of shorter stories or incidents that have taken place that highlight the less competent criminal here on Delmarva. So it'll just be a collection of stories But I do also want to ask if anybody, especially in Maryland and Virginia, have any stories or have heard of any cases or incidents that they'd like for me to cover, please let me know um, by sending me either a message through my email address or through Facebook Messenger. Messenger is usually the quickest way to get in touch with me. And that's just because sometimes when I'm looking for, say, new cases or trying to find something specific. It's easier for Delaware because no matter where it happened in Delaware, it's part of Delmarva. For Maryland and Virginia, if I search for the states, usually it's for cities or towns that are outside of Delmarva. And even going through the specific newspapers that are from Maryland and Virginia that are Delmarva. It's a little bit harder to find specific things um, because of that. So like for today's cases, I searched for dumb criminals, dumb crimes, and then by state. And again, for Delaware, that means whatever comes up, no matter what city, it's part of Delmarva. But for the other states, it was usually something that happened in, say, Baltimore or Cumberland, areas that are outside Delmarva. So just if anybody hears of anything, if you can just drop me a line, um, even just a name or approximate date, anything like that, and I can try to search. I would really greatly appreciate that. So with that being said, most of the incidents that I'll be talking about today did happen in Delaware. Also, just a couple notes for upcoming episodes. Probably within the next week, week and a half, I'll be having a shorter episode come out. And it's about a specific skipjack, which was the type of boat that I was discussing in the previous episode. And it's about the restoration and trying to keep the legacy of skipjacks alive. So it's not really specifically a tragedy or a criminal case or anything like that. But at the same time, I thought it was something interesting that I found while, you know, looking for information on the Skipjack story from 1939. And, you know, this was actually very recent this year, some of the information that came out um, for the episode I'm working on, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And also, I am going over, you know, dumb criminals and crimes today. However, this always brings to mind a incident that happened in my hometown. And I remember when it happened because I saw the boats coming from other, um, other towns to try to assist. And I lived near the area and it actually has a very significant, um, I guess you would say place in my family's history. And It's a tragic case, but it also brings up a lot of questions such as what is the police responsibility if a criminal or suspected criminal does something that ends up hurting themselves. So even though looking at the case, we can ask, what was he thinking? It really did end in tragedy. So while I'm going over some of these crimes that are kind of funny right now to chuckle at, In other cases, there is a more serious and tragic outcome, and even though that story may be a little shorter than some of the others um, that I've covered, I didn't want to cover it in this episode because 
note of how it ended. So I'm just going to give a couple quick disclaimers and information about the channel, and then we'll get into these stories. So today's episode is a little more lighthearted, so there are not as many content warnings for this episode as in others, but I always do just like to remind everybody most of the episodes that I have do have some tragic outcomes, so you know, just to provide that content warning. Also, I will leave information on both this podcast and my other one, Mystifyingly Missing, um, as well. I'll be working on a story about a tragic fire that took place in Syracuse also in 1939, and I'll have that out probably by the end of this week or beginning of next week. And if you would like to support the channel um, to help cover cost of the podcast platform, as well as some of the research requests um, and you know other subscriptions I have to try to help with research, those links for a PayPal and Buy Me a Coffee will be listed as well. And also the title of this episode Well, that is a word that we use around here sometimes to have a play on words. We say something is Del Marvelous. So today we will be looking at some Del Marvelously dumb criminals. I think everybody has a dream of someday not having to worry about money, whether it's winning the lottery or making a small investment that somehow balloons into millions of dollars or working hard and saving so that when you retire, or even prior to that, can have some luxuries or just not have to worry about the day-to-day bills. But sometimes there are other ways that people think about getting money that they have not actually earned, or by any chance, such as the lottery or making a good investment option, no these adventurous people decide that they want to take the chance and rob a bank. Since they don't want to wait around and spend the $50 a week on lottery tickets, hoping that their ship comes in. We may have all seen movies or TV shows where a group of bank robbers have this elaborate plan to somehow get in and out of a bank vault with nobody seeing them, to be able to get away with all the money or valuables in that vault without leaving any clues behind as to who they are. Well, this first person definitely didn't think things out that thoroughly. He didn't have a team of people to help him. He just decided to walk into a bank and request money. Going back to April of 2014, on a Saturday, April 26th, a man entered TD Bank in Wilmington, Delaware. It was just a little bit after 11, um, at approximately 11.10, and what someone didn't tell Melvin Miranda, who was 35 at that time, is that maybe you should look around the lobby to see if there's any security there. At the time that Mr. Miranda entered the bank, a Sergeant Frey Lynch from the Wilmington Police was there on an extra duty assignment. Sergeant Lynch, at the end of his career, had served 15 years with the Wilmington Police Department and, according to his LinkedIn, um, served the Wilmington Police Department from 1999 to 2015. Now, it wasn't as though Sergeant Lynch was standing there in jeans and a t-shirt to blend in, or he wasn't there in a business suit like he was there to run errands for a company. No, he was there in full police gear, including his radio. So when this man enters a bank and tells the person working at the counter that they want money and basically that this is a robbery, Sergeant Lynch just spoke into his radio to ask for backup. And somehow, Mr. Miranda did not realize this was happening. He was attempting to rob the bank within hearing distance of a fully equipped and uniformed police officer. The police were able to get there very quickly and were there before Melvin Miranda was able to get out of the building. He did resist arrest and try to struggle, but he was eventually subdued and was charged with robbery and resisting arrest. 
And I have to think that robbery of banks is maybe where we get some of the stupidest or silliest crimes. Just some examples I've heard of in other places is, like for an example, someone using Sharpie markers on their face to try to disguise themselves, or where they write a note to give to the teller, but they write it on a check stub or their own deposit ticket or things like that, because my next one will also be about a man who robbed a bank, but through his own actions was very easily caught. In December of 2021, a man named McRoberts Williams, and I have to say I had to double check his name a couple of times because McRoberts just didn't seem to fit as a first name, but that is his name. I just had to double check though because it was hard to say McRoberts first. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm not used to it. But he was 44 at the time and initially it looked like he was probably going to get away with his crime. He went into a Wells Fargo bank, again in Wilmington. And just for clarification, Wilmington is a very large city um, the largest one in Delaware, and so it's a hub of a lot of businesses as well. Um, you know, as you may have heard, Delaware has very favorable laws for corporations, so there's lots of businesses, and a lot of people who are around there, you know, trying to transact, um, you know, deposits and other business at banks. So there's a lot more banks in Wilmington. But as he entered the bank, his plan was the typical, I'm going to give the teller a note. Now, 11-ish must be a good time to rob a bank from some people's standpoint, as McRoberts seemed to have gotten there at around 11.20. Maybe it's a good time because it's not quite lunchtime and people aren't flooding in on their breaks. Or in cases of Saturdays, a lot of banks close at noon around here. But Mr. Williams gave a teller a note who was reported to be 25 years old, and after receiving the money, he quickly left. The exact amount of the money that he received was not released, but immediately after getting the money, he walked outside of the bank and went to the ATM and tried to deposit the money. So yes, with cameras in full view, that within the bank, there are cameras, there are cameras at the ATM, and they could probably see through the cameras um, that he was going from inside the building to an external ATM. Now, I've worked in a couple of branches in the area. I worked mostly in back office or non-customer facing roles in banks. However, there were a few times where I did serve as a customer service representative within different branches. One was not quite so busy. One was a temporary time um, where they just needed someone to assist at that branch. And then one was kind of similar. It was, you know, in the hub of Sussex County. And we had to know certain things in regards to, you know, closing up after there's been a robbery. So most likely someone would have walked from either behind the teller station or from one of the desks to the door and lock it. They would have been able then to see the direction that he was going. And again, the police got there very, very quickly and found him at the ATM. So that was probably one of the easiest bank robbery arrests that there's ever been. And Newcastle County must be a pretty popular place to try to rob banks, probably for the reasons I mentioned before. Maybe so popular that a woman from Georgia came all the way up here and attempted to rob at least three banks. But it sounds like she lost her nerve on at least one of those. Now, initially, the first report I read of this was when they weren't putting all of the pieces together. Um, but Eventually, it was found that there were a total of three attempts, at least, with two not being successful. Now, this young woman was also five foot eleven, 
which, though not incredibly tall, is still pretty tall for a woman, so she probably would have stood out a little bit as well, as her description said that she was tall. Her name was Tamara Siegel, and she was only 19 years old, from Powder Springs, Georgia. In two incidents, she entered PNC banks, but left without getting any money. So she went in there, basically informed the teller that she was there to rob the bank, but then left. And I have to wonder maybe if the thought of federal prison was something that was not quite so appealing. But she did actually go to a WSFS bank in Claymont. In that case, she did hand over a note and waited for the money. Now, I was unable to find if she was actually caught, even though an image did come up that looked like it was a mugshot. But, you know, that seems like an awful lot of security footage left behind for only one successful robbery. Now, we're going to move from banks to carjackings, which both instances have got to be terrifying if you're, you know, in a bank, whether you're a customer or an employee and someone's robbing a bank, you never know what they may have with them or what may happen. And it's a very scary and terrifying thing to go through. Carjacking is even more personal a lot of times as they're closer. A lot of times they get you know, right up next to you and maybe even pull you out, um, depending on you know, the compliance of the person who's in the car whether they fight back or not. So, you know, again, I don't know any other way to describe it other than terrifying. Now, maybe these criminals think they have a perfect setup if they see someone stopped at a stoplight or they're parked, you know, on the street waiting for someone to come out of another building, anything like that. They probably think they can just approach a car and either demand someone get out or pull them out. I sometimes think if they look at people and say, okay, I think I can handle that um, in terms of whether or not they'll be successful. Well, going back just a few months, really, in April of 2023, a man named Mark Tannen of Newark, Delaware, attempted to commit some carjackings. Now, the Newark police had been contacted on a Tuesday evening at 8.40 p.m., a victim reported a carjacking, and what had happened is a man had been sitting in his vehicle when all of a sudden another man, later known to be Mr. Tannen, came up to the door, opened it, and tried to pull the owner out of the vehicle. However, the intended victim wasn't going down without a fight and was able to get the attempted carjacker out of his vehicle and was able to secure the doors to protect his property. Now, just kind of on a side note, I know personally how difficult it would be for me if someone wanted to take my vehicle because, you know, we work hard for, you know, everything that we have, as do most people. And, you know, to have someone just try to steal that property that you've worked so hard for is, you know, something that you don't want to do willingly. I mean, my husband had to get a new truck last weekend and we'd been putting it off until it got to the point that um, that we couldn't really invest any more money into the older vehicle because it wouldn't be worth it or sustainable. But I digress a little bit with that. But it's that understanding or empathy that I know you don't want to give up your vehicle, but at the same time, you never know what the carjacker may have. So just my personal thoughts on that is it's still just property. Hopefully your insurance covers everything, but don't fight. Just, you know, let them take the property because that can be replaced, but you cannot. So the police were there investigating that carjacking. And just a little bit down the street parked also was an off-duty police officer. Now he was, you know, in plain clothes as he was off-duty. But he was driving an unmarked police car. Um, I don't know if he was just able to take it home in the evenings or if he needed it very early the next morning. But in either case, he was there in an unmarked vehicle. Now, you may already have a feeling of where this is going. 
As the police are investigating the first carjacking, a man approaches the plainclothes officer off-duty in the unmarked car and also tries to carjack him. The officer then identified himself and Mark Tannen, of course, tried to flee. However, with the backup of the other officers who were there just down the road, he they were very quickly able to get Mr. Tannen into custody. Now, just kind of to give you an idea of this part of Newark, it is usually pretty congested. Um, there's a university in the area, so it's you know busy with kids, especially in April. There should still be classes. You know, it's really the hub of the city, and I can just imagine all the cars parked there. I never really wanted to go there just because of the parking um, and how difficult it was. So, you know, even when I went there for an anniversary dinner one time, I rode with somebody. We just knew we wouldn't be able to get, you know, get parking that was close to the restaurant. So we we went together to conserve there. Um, But it's very congested. So Mr. Tannen probably thought it would be very easy to pick someone and carjack them. But little did he know, he chose a police officer. And maybe that's not being a dumb criminal. Maybe that's just being unlucky. Moving on to our next case, something that really irks me is when people use their children in crimes. Now, the most um, incidents that I can think of is something like a person having a baby in a stroller and trying to put things under the baby or under their blankets to you know, get out of the store and shoplift. But in the case we're looking at today, it's going to be a man who hid heroin in his baby's diaper, heroin, next to his baby's skin. Now, this all started with theft, plain and simple. In 2014, a man named Michael Penn was wanted because it was alleged that he stole a Samsung tablet from a mobile phone store. Police had identified him, and when they did see him, he actually had all of his children, or at least three, I should say. I don't know if he had anymore, but three of his children were with him. One was riding next to him on a bicycle, but he was holding an eight-month-old and a five-year-old in his arms. Um, The child riding the bicycle was seven years old, so all relatively young. When the police did approach him, I guess his mind must have started to race and realizing that he had something that was illegal in his possession, he had to think of where to hide it. And his quick thinking said, hide this in my baby's diaper. But his hands were observed doing something while they were attempting to arrest him after they had asked him to put down the children. So very quickly, they were able to find the heroin. So his attempt to hide it using his child was unsuccessful. Now, just kind of a quick observation here. You know, for one thing, I don't know really about approaching a man who has three children with him for the theft of a tablet. Yes, he needs to be arrested and charged, but you know, just having three children around would, to me, be very uncomfortable. But, you know, they did go and approach him when he had the children. And usually, if there's no one else there to take over, like, custody of the children, someone like Child Protective Services or another officer may watch the children. Eventually, they'll need to take off the baby's diaper. So I guess it all happened so fast that he just didn't think that somebody eventually will open this diaper and if the the police are still around, they're going to see this heroin. But I guess given the circumstances, that was all he could come up with at, at the time. Now we're going back to Newark and to 2011. Now it's hard to believe sometimes that 2011 was 12 years ago. Now in 2023, when we think about our cell phones, we know that they, as well as other tech, such as a smartwatch or if we carry a tablet, anything like that, will contain something that will track our location unless we turn it off. And even then, if you have an app that tracks location, 
that may still be working in the background. But in this night in 2011, four young men decided to crash a party. Now, it wasn't a huge party, it didn't sound like, maybe about 15 people. And I'm wondering if in May, it may have been college kids, you know, just trying to, you know, celebrate the approaching end of the year. But while the article didn't say whether or not they were college or went to the local college, it did say that they were all college-aged. So these four men who crashed the party did not have fun and games in mind. They robbed everybody at the party, and this actually included cell phones as well. Fortunately, nobody was seriously hurt, but there was one party attendee who was beaten by one of the suspects, but they were not hurt seriously. So after the thieves got what they wanted and took off, the police arrived at the scene, and one of the partygoers was pretty astute and said that his device had GPS tracking enabled. So by using this, the police were very quick in finding the four armed robbers, and that phone led to their arrest. When the police did arrest them, they did find they also had a handgun in their possession. So this is what worries me as far as, you know, fighting back when someone's trying to rob you is you may not even see a handgun. They're small. And, you know, again, you can replace property, but not yourself. And just to continue with this case a little bit and what seems to be endemic to Newark is they also found that these four young men were also part of a carjacking that took place earlier that day. All of the men were under 20 years old, and their names were Joseph Thomas, Matthew Travers, Brett Chatton, and Joseph Hopkins. Now to an incident that is probably a one in a million chance, even though I've actually heard of a similar story before, but a man who was coming home saw that another man was struggling with carrying a flat screen TV. This was going back to November of 2019, and the Good Samaritan, while helping this man, thought, this looks like my TV, and probably just thought it was a coincidence because, you know, it's a flat screen TV, and they really don't have a lot of, you know, information on them. It's not as though it's a very distinctive frame or anything like that for the most part. It may be the same brand, though, or size, and that's what this man was thinking. However, as he approached his house, he saw that his front door was ajar. So, quickly putting two and two together, he realized he had been helping a man steal his own TV. So, perfect timing for the house owner, not so perfect timing for the thief. So, again, very quick response by the police when he called and told him that. I have to wonder what the dispatcher was thinking. Um, But... The man was quickly caught and arrested. So maybe the moral of this story is if you're robbing a place and someone's approaching that location, whether it be a house or an apartment, don't accept their help because they're liable to recognize their own property. So from here, we're going to go to Maryland. However, the article that I read on this did not give um, a town or city So since I was having some difficulty finding some cases in Maryland, I thought that this would be good to put in there because I want to make sure that Delmarva is represented, um, all three states. So with this one, I kind of have to wonder why the robber just didn't give up at some point, even though his feats were rather impressive. A 56-year-old man was being chased by police because he was wanted burglary. Now, as he was being chased by them, he saw that there was a 12-foot wall in front of him, and he actually scaled it and jumped over the wall, only to be met by more police officers. And what did he do next? He turned around and went over the wall again to the police officers who were on the other side. Now, me just personally, I know I could never scale a 12-foot wall. I probably couldn't get over a three-foot wall, to be frank. But, you know, to have to exert all that energy 
when you know that there's police on the other side of that wall. I guess in the moment, he didn't really think. Now, going to Virginia, and again, a city was not given um, you know, during the article or in the article, um, but again, this is almost a case of they should have given up earlier as compared to the one about the man going over the wall. They didn't have good luck either. So these two men in their pickup truck decided to steal a refrigerator from a home that was being built. Personally, I'm questioning why they were putting in a refrigerator to a home that was still relatively open. I saw a picture of it and there were no doors. There was one or two windows that I saw, but other windows were not in place. So I would just be worried about, you know, rain getting in or an animal getting in there and scratching at the refrigerator. But nonetheless, a refrigerator had been placed in this house. So it had just rained and the ground was pretty soggy. The men approached the house. They were able to get the refrigerator out, but by putting it in the back of the pickup truck, it weighed it down so much that they got stuck in the mud. Realizing that they needed to get out and probably pretty quickly so that nobody saw them, they decided to take the refrigerator out and take it back into the home. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, maybe that's a good idea then so that they're not stuck there, but they'd already damaged the walls and, you know, other things within the, the home that was being built, so someone wouldn't know that the house had been tampered with. So I was just kind of thinking that maybe they should have just put the refrigerator off to the side or maybe even put it on more sturdy ground. And, you know, once they got the truck out, they could then put the refrigerator back on or in the truck. Now, I'm not condoning what they did, but I'm just kind of questioning their line of thinking. But they got the refrigerator back into the home, got back to the truck and realized they'd locked the keys inside. So they did the only thing they could do is they walked away. And remember I said they had damaged some of the walls and other things within the home. So they knew that there had been an attempted robbery. So, you know, leaving your pickup truck there with a license plate pretty much just is as identifiable as leaving your license. You know, so many ways to ID the truck, the VIN, the license plate, registration once they got in. So again, just kind of wondering if they didn't give up at the right time. Going back to Delaware to a town named Bear, um, we're going to look at some criminals who decided they wanted to rob a house of all of its alcohol contents. So if you were robbing a house and were stealing some liquor, maybe you might wait until you got home before you started partaking in that particular liquor. Well, not everybody is quite so understanding of the impact of alcohol. Something that you need to especially take heed of if you're robbing a place is you want to have a clear head, but not so in this case. While the name of the potential robbers were not listed, one man from Delaware was quite surprised when he came home and found empty bottles around his house with a man leaning over a kitchen island completely passed out. So this is bad enough, but what kind of makes this even more unbelievable is was it was not only one person who did this, but the homeowner found another man passed out in the basement. So a very quick arrest for the police officers. And again, I just wonder how at least not one of the two people realized it's not a good idea to get drunk while you're trying to rob a home. Now, I did just want to quickly go over a couple of, I don't want to say dumb laws, but maybe laws that are not needed. And if you're from Delaware and even states um, that used to have these types of laws, there was something called blue laws. And what that basically is, is you can't work on a Sunday. Of course, with some exceptions, such as doctors, nurses, you know, police officers, firemen, and the such. Now, it was originally in 1795 that Delaware um, 
instituted these blue laws, with some revisions taking place throughout time, such as when in 1852, there were laws that also prohibited basically any sporting type event, um, such as um, what they said, horse racing, cockfighting, which really, that shouldn't have been allowed at any time, um, hunting, fishing, anything like that. Um, also, anything that would have people assemble to, quote, game, play, or dance, end quote. Now, in 1911, people really began to understand the impacts of these laws when some people who were playing baseball and some others who were playing tennis on a Sunday were arrested. So, again, this was 1911 after the 1852 revisions. So, people had to be shocked to realize that they were being arrested for just playing these games. Now, much later, about 27 years after that, a attorney general who had once been the city solicitor for Wilmington, um, named John Morford, was elected you know, to be the attorney general in 1938. He really wanted to repeal the blue laws, and whether or not it was because he just thought that they shouldn't be enacted or not, what he really was concerned about was the fact that these laws were not really enforced. And he saw that as something that would really decrease the respect that law enforcement had in the communities. So if there's a law on the books that's never enforced, he was looking at it as people won't really respect the laws if they see that some laws aren't actively enforced. He did try to get the laws repealed through the General Assembly a number of times, um, but they were rejected a couple of times. So he decided to take another route as far as trying to get these laws repealed. In 1941, after, you know, having the General Assembly veto his, you know, his attempt to have the laws repealed, he decided that he would send something out that for Sunday, March 2nd, 1941, the blue laws were to be strictly enforced. And by the end of that day, 500 people had been arrested for doing many different things, whether it was playing sports. Um, one of the photos that was taken was of a bakery owner getting fingerprinted for working on a Sunday. So the General Assembly repealed or made modifications to some of the blue laws by the end of that re week because really they probably didn't want 500 people coming through the courts or going into jail the following weekend. So it's funny how quick they can act when you know, things don't really go the way that the assembly or any government body wants it to. Now, by 1953, then, there were a lot of changes, but there was still a ban on horse racing along with things like theater performances. Um, there were some exceptions, so if you lived in an unincorporated area, you had to follow these laws, but if it was a city or town, they could have different regulations. However, there were still limits, such as um, you couldn't be open before noon, and usually you had to be closed by six. Uh, I know that growing up, you know, we didn't go anywhere before 12, you know, we had to run an errand before church, then, you know, we couldn't do that because nothing was opened. Um, we would have to wait until we were on our way home to run whatever errand. And it wasn't until much, much later that liquor or alcohol was allowed to be sold on Sundays because I just remember even when I turned 21 after that, many of the liquor stores, I don't remember them being open until sometime later. I'm not going to say when because I don't really want to reveal my age here, but <laughs> but it was a relatively recent, when you look at, you know, from 1795 to current times, it's not been too long since some of those laws were repealed. Another law that takes place in Rehoboth is that you can't get dressed in your car or your vehicle, but you can do it if it's in the garage, but if anybody can see you, you're not allowed to get changed. So why is this really important? Well, 
when you're at the beach, you may not necessarily either want to walk around with a bathing suit under your shorts and t-shirt, or you don't want to walk around in a wet bathing suit, but you also aren't allowed to change in the public restrooms either. So I've been there. I've been in that situation. And frankly, I don't think I would want to get changed in the restrooms either because they're always wet and flooded and sandy. But that's just kind of something odd that a beach town would have. And yes, there were signs, at least last time, that I needed to change um, at the beach. There were signs that said that you were not allowed to change in the restrooms. Now, going to Maryland, um, we're also looking at another beach town of Ocean City. It is illegal for men to walk shirtless on the boardwalk. Looking back at my visits there, I have to say that most of the time, I think the men do have their t-shirts on because the boardwalk is really more for commerce. You know, unless you're going from the beach to your car, you're on the boardwalk to either go into the shops or go into a restaurant, so you would have to wear a shirt anyway. But even more kind of odd is that it's illegal to eat in the ocean while you're swimming. So my thought is the food would become really soggy and salty. But that was actually a law which I really would love to know the history behind that. Also, just on more of an adult theme here, um, at least at one point in time, I don't know if it's been repealed, but it was illegal to sell condoms from vending machines unless, and I guess this is the lawmakers having some foresight, unless the vending machine was at a place where alcohol would be consumed on the premises. So that was specific. It had to be alcohol consumed on the premises. So at least there was some forethought there that, okay, they can be dispensed from vending machines when people get drunk. Now, gentlemen, you may like this law. Um, their wives, because this is very specific between husbands and wives, this law, is that it's illegal for a wife to go through her husband's pockets while he is sleeping. So there definitely has to be a story behind that one. Also, if you were once someone who was prone to yelling and cursing at other drivers, well, you can't curse in your car. Also, it was once illegal and may still be so, and for good reason, but it was illegal to take your lion to the movies. Your lion, as in like the MGM lion. And that's all I could envision was a lion on the screen at the beginning of a movie. But yes, it was illegal to take your lion to the movies. And that's very comforting because nobody would want to be in the movie theater with a lion, I would assume. Now, going to Virginia, and back to the very early days, in August of 1776, George Washington set forth a law that prohibited profanity. He really only thought this should be for his soldiers, but it, it was really enacted for everybody. But in terms of his soldiers, he found that using profanity was, quote, a foolish and wicked practice, end quote. But there's supposed to be free speech in America. And so there had been law cases, not just from Virginia, that addressed this um, as being a limitation on speech. From a case in 1971, a Supreme Court justice said, quote, one man's vulgarity is another's lyrics, end quote. So technically this was repealed in 2020. But can you imagine the fines if these were really enforced? Um, I'm sure the amount of the fine would change over the course of time, but it was not actually repealed until 2020. Um, just kind of a quick couple antidotes here. A few months ago, I was making something for my husband's birthday. I was making a compilation of you know some some of his family's history, and so while going through one of the research sites that I have, I found that his mother was found guilty of using loud and indecent language towards a woman who was a security officer, and she had to pay $20 and $10. So looks like one fine was for indecent language. 
The other was for being loud. So even in New Jersey, and this was in 1970, someone was actually found guilty of using loud and indecent language. And also, his mother also led the police on a 110 mile um, per hour chase at one point in time. I, uh, yeah, I I found that hard to believe, Um, but she did. And it was for a relatively minor offense, which ended up being much worse because of this. But she passed away, unfortunately, last year. But my husband was not aware of this, but I did reach out to my sister-in-law and she said, yes, her mother actually kept a scrapbook and had these articles in them because my sister-in-law said one time she was looking through them and was like, mom, you did not do this, but she did. So the fact that she did keep a scrapbook like that, and she was, um, I guess you would say, she wasn't bothered by that. So I don't think she would mind me saying the story, even though I'm not saying her name. But yeah, 110 miles per hour. I could not believe that. Then again, I guess I could. But getting back to both Delmarva and what we're looking at now, um, there were a couple other laws in Virginia that were either misquoted or kind of odd. Um, There was once a law that was misinterpreted or misquoted, and the law itself said that a driver must, quote, give way to motor vehicles passing on the right hand side of the overtaking driver issuing an audible or light signal, end quote. So basically, if someone's passing you on the right, they either have to put on their signal, turn signal, or beep their horn. The law had been misinterpreted and kind of spread in some places saying that it was against the law to pass somebody and not beep your horn. So essentially, you had to honk your horn if you were passing somebody. I'm not sure how that became misconstrued, but that is a law that has been misquoted and misconstrued for a very long time to where when I was researching that, it was listed on dumb law websites. Now, looking at blue laws, there was a very, very specific law in Virginia about what you could sell on Sundays, or in this case, not sell. You could not sell lettuce or peanut brittle, lettuce or peanut brittle, which means at some point I've probably broken the law because I've been to Maryland on Sundays and helped cook dinner and sometimes stopped and picked up groceries. So I would really love to know the reason behind that law. And lastly, at some point in time, it was illegal to have a bathtub in your bathroom. The bathtub was supposed to be left out in the yard. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I would not feel comfortable taking a bath outside, even if there was a fence and it was dark. And I can say for sure that probably none of my neighbors would want to see it either. So everybody, I hope that this was kind of a different um, a different type of episode where we weren't really looking at a lot of tragedies or anything like that. These crimes, though, when the criminals, you know, we can look at them and kind of chuckle about either them having bad luck or them not thinking rationally at the time. But like I said, there can be consequences. You know, um, there was one article I actually read where a police chief of a small town basically called the victims of thefts dumb. And that was because people would not lock their doors at night and for the cars and they would be broken into, or I guess not technically not broken into because the doors were unlocked. And the reason that the police chief was being interviewed is a handgun was stolen from a car that was not locked. And I, that has to be very concerning to everybody around that someone who committed a theft was able to steal a gun from a car that was not secured. So maybe not to be so blunt as the police chief is, unfortunately, we're living at a time where thefts are on the rise. Um, I got an alert that somebody in my area is even stealing the ring doorbells 
So, uh, I mean, I guess maybe they don't realize that the recording is sent to your phone. So, you know, theoretically, you can at least see a little bit of them. I know that in the video I saw from a neighbor or someone close by, they were wearing a mask, of course. But it's an electronic device, and most of them, I think, can be tracked. I know mine is very specific, so you have to register with the serial number and all of that stuff. But with the thefts on the rise, we just have to be more careful. We have to make sure that we do lock and secure our cars. Um, I forgot one night about four years ago. One night, and my car was broken into. It was almost brand new. I probably had the car a week. And I guess I just forgot, you know, or something went out of order. You know, I had to grab something and forgot to lock it. But thankfully, I had not put a lot of stuff in my car yet, so it wasn't stolen. Um, we even have situations where if you have a dash cam in your car, even if it's locked, people are trying to break in to get the electronics. So, you know, I guess just be careful. Try to keep yourself safe in as many ways as possible. And I know it's difficult if you're in a position of you're being robbed. But when I worked for the bank, we were always told, comply, money will be replaced, you cannot be replaced. So again, while I understand it's definitely an instinct to try to defend our property, don't do so, please, at the risk of your life. Um, I know I would have that first instinct, but at the same time, I want to be around for my kids. And just with everything that's going on today in this world, you never know. Um, and like I said, a, an upcoming episode will, if it did not end so tragically, probably have been part of this episode. But that will be coming out soon. Again, um, the episode, like a mini episode about one of the skipjacks will be coming out soon. And check out my other channel, Mystifyingly Missing. Um, that will be linked in the description. Thank you guys so much for sticking here until the end. And oh, just before I forget, um, we hit 5,300 downloads today. So you know, that's exciting to see those numbers go up. And I have a couple more subscribers on YouTube. So I really appreciate that. Um, I do hope at some point in time to be able to make videos. Um, the computer that I have now, I bought a new external hard drive to try to speed it up. Not working either that or I'm not using it right. But I really appreciate the liking and sharing the episodes um, and the channel. That really helps with the algorithms to, you know, bring the podcast or the videos to the forefront. So I hope everybody has a great rest of your week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.